1: I'm that guy you see, in every horror flick You may not remember me I come and go too quick You wouldn't know my name I hardly ever speak a line
2: If the hero kills a hundred demons
3: I'd be the forgettable number
1: 39.
2: Because I'm a bit part demon, a
3: small-time <laughs> You probably didn't know there was an Evil Dead musical. <laughs> but there is, and that's what that's from. I know, I'm just sitting here thinking... Uh, today's show is about smaller roles, people who are in smaller roles. The term bit part is no longer used. I don't know if it was ever an acceptable terminology. But, you know, I mean, who I was thinking of just now when he was singing, I was thinking of Sam Rockwell in Galaxy Quest, where, as you may recall, he plays Guy. Uh, and, and when things start to get kind of hairy, he tries to figure out what he is in this story. And he says, you know, because he's wearing a red shirt, I think, which is really bad in Star Trek. And he goes, maybe I'm the guy who gets killed in the first 15 minutes to establish that this is a serious situation. Uh, and there sort of is that, right? There's that thing. But also, character actors play really important roles in their roles. I mean, for example, Miracle on 34th, 34th Street. You may recall there's a post, New York post office mail sorter who decides that the, the kind of dead letters that were going to Santa will go to this Chris Kringle guy. You know who that is? That's Jack Albertson. Jack Albertson would go on to have this fabulous career, including, you know, Chico and the man and stuff. Uh, I don't think he's even credited. But, you know, I mean, the whole thing doesn't happen without that mail sorter. Uh, and I really love a quote from a, um, a character actor who has now passed on. I believe his name is Dabs Greer. And you wouldn't be most likely to remember him as the Reverend in Little House on the Prairie. But he was in lots of different things. And, and he said, and this was in his L.A. Times obit, he said, um, In his own sphere, every character actor is the lead. Uh, And I think that's probably really true. The people who do this, these kinds of roles, they've got to make sure they do them well. And of course, yeah, they do go under greatness sometimes. I'm looking here at my tablet right now where I've pasted uh, a still picture of Paul Newman in the verdict. uh, And two rows behind him in the sort of the courtroom gallery is Bruce Willis, who's just sitting there. (laughs) <laughs> he just That's a non-speaking role. His career hadn't really started. Same thing. There's a a, a little shot of uh, Robert Redford dining in Downhill Racer, and the guy at the next table is Sylvester Stallone. Also a non-speaking role. For you know. He eventually learned to speak, and it worked out great. So we're going to be talking about some of these kinds of roles today. Uh, And to get us started here, uh, Jenny Rabbits is a casting director based in New York. She has worked on over 500 episodes of television in addition to theater, film, and commercials. We are thrilled to have her with us. Jenny, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
3: So I want to begin with another example of this, and then I'm going to ask you to sort of talk me through how a casting director kind of solves this problem or finds this person. So uh, what I'm going to do... I realize that uh, you did not, you were not the casting director on The Graduate, uh, but maybe we can imagine that Brian De Palma is going to reshoot the Mike Nichols script now, like line for line. But I'm going to play you a little clip from The Graduate. You'll hear Dustin Hoffman, of course, is Benjamin. Uh, Norman Fell is his landlord, Mr. McCleary. And then you'll hear also an uncredited boarding house resident. So tune your ears, people in the audience, for somebody saying, uh, should I call the cops or shall I get the cops? I'll get the cops. All right, listen for that person. This is O2, Dylan.
2: Oh, hello, Mr. McClure. Oh, scream. It's all right, Mr. McClure.
1: Screaming is not all right. Not in my house, it isn't.
2: It was just a visitor, but it's all right now. What'd you do to her? Look, she's all right. She's upset and she screamed, but it's okay now.
5: Shall I get the cops? What? I'll get the cops.
2: Hey, wait a minute. Now, damn it, look.
3: Here she is having some water. Now, there's no need for the cops or anything. All right, boys, you can all go back to your rooms now. Here she is having some water. I've always loved that delivery. But, um, you know, the person, Jenny, who says, shall I get the cops, I'll get the cops, is Richard Dreyfus at the beginning of his career. Those are his only words in The Graduate. Um, And he hasn't really been in anything else at that point. He's going to go. It's probably the fewest words Richard Dreyfuss has said, in any situation, either acting or social, based on my experiences with him. Um, but so, say you're the casting director, they're reshooting this whole thing, uh, line for line. You've got to get somebody to say, uh, uh, shall I get the cops? I'll get the cops. How, how does that process for a casting director unfold? I assume, you know, typically lead actors are often attached to a project kind of early, and then you gradually populate these other roles. When you get to something like this, how, how do you find that person?
4: I love that you use the word populate just now because that is exactly what we're doing. We are populating a story and we're building around our pre-established actors and those characters that we already have. So if we're looking at The Graduate, we have Dustin Hoffman then we want to make sure that we're building a supporting cast that works well with Dustin Hoffman. So that might, you know, mean something as easy as I'm not going to cast Dustin Hoffman's doppelganger in the one line boarding house, uh, you know, employee. I want to make sure that someone, it's someone different, uh, someone who, uh, has different facial features, different emotions, uh, different stature, dis- different physicality. But the way we would look at it uh, is we would we would get this script. We would go through all of the characters with our writers, with our director, with our producer. And sometimes they'll say really specific things. You know, we want this boy, boarding house uh, guy to be really, really short. Uh, we want him to be super grizzled uh you know we want him to look like he's had the worst day of his life that's richard yeah really specific right so then we know what we're looking for as casting directors and then sometimes we'll get something that's totally open whoever you want best actor for the part and that's even more fun because then we get to see how Um, bring in tons of different actors we're going to bring in you know the overly eager in everyone's business boarding house employee we're going to bring in that grizzled guy we're going to be able to show our creative team an array of faces and um, different kinds of styles and they're going to pick the one that they think is best Uh, but really what it kind of boils down to is storytelling who's going to support the storytelling in the best way uh, the example I always give is if I'm casting a um a bouncer at a club and this this bouncer is gonna go over to the lead actor and pick him up by the scruff of his neck and throw him out of the bar. if I find an, a really amazing actor but he's five foot two and a hundred pounds, uh pretty unlikely that it's going to support the storytelling that that actor is going to be able to grab my uh my lead actor by the scrub of the neck and throw him out you know what we expect as an audience is a believable bouncer someone who's able to do it and of course if the story is it's a bouncer who cannot for the life of them grab this guy and throw him out then of course, then we're opening up. We're broadening that pool of actors. Maybe there's a comedic beat to be played, but we want to make sure we're supporting whatever storytelling is happening with the actors that we're choosing.
3: I'm five two, but I can play five five, Jenny. I, I swear. Um, so, I believe um, it. so, so, how do you know these people? Like, like, do you already know these people exist? I mean, do you have to? Do you have some huge database that you go through? Um, I mean. How do you know to find the perfectly grizzled or in everybody's business bossy person? Are they already on your radar somehow?
4: Oftentimes they are. Um, As casting directors, we meet hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of actors a week. Uh, Just by auditions alone. But then we rely on agents and managers to connect with us and put their clients forward. And then we also meet actors in our own daily lives. You know, we go and we see shows on Broadway, we watch them in television shows. Uh, I, when I'm watching a TV show, I go to IMDb, which is the Internet Movie Database. And if I like an actor, I look them up on IMDb and then I screenshot their profile and I add them to my database. So this actor might never have met me in a million years, but they're in my database and they're now being considered for projects. Uh, We also release what's called a breakdown, which is basically a character description and uh, agents and managers and actors who see those postings can write to us and say, hey, I think I'm right for this. You know can i get an audition and then we
3: audition them i should say i should confess uh i uh, used imdb to stalk you today which is how i know that among your many many credits you were the casting director on these short stomach people and i really thought i had a shot at stomach people i can't believe you decided not to use me jenny um, <laughs> the um so i mean in a way if you're the casting director you say no more than you say yes but I guess you don't really have to say no to people's faces particularly often, right? They just it's, you know, we'll call you or we won't call you.
4: Yeah, you know, I think the tough thing is uh and for actors, you know, their whole life is hearing no, but it doesn't necessarily get any easier. And it's tough for the actors to see it as they're just hearing no in a general way. They, you know, they put a face to it and that is often the face of a casting director. Um But the reality is, is it's just as challenging for us to say no um, to you as it is to hear no. I don't like telling people that they're not getting a job. I certainly don't like telling people that Oh, they've gotten so close, but just in the end, it came down to you looked a little too much like Dustin Hoffman Uh, or, you know, Dustin Hoffman has decided he doesn't want anyone taller than him on set. (laughs) You know, all these sort of little silly things that go into casting and you can be the greatest actor with all of your skills you came as prepared as can be and you can still not get the role and that's a little distressing um because so many other jobs and so many other careers are definitely a meritocracy and that is certainly not the case with the entertainment world and particularly for actors
3: so we we first started talking about this uh, episode uh we were at a meeting and i i finally said isn't there isn't there a scene in *Passion Fish*, the movie *Passion Fish*, which is a terrific John Seals movie uh, with Mary McDonnell uh, in the lead? But there somebody comes to visit her and tells a story about getting one line. And so one of our producers, because I'm like this sort of child king, you know, you have to go track things down when I bring them up. Um, uh, here's the scene. Uh, the actor is Nancy Met or Mete, Mette M e t t e as uh, Nina. This is 01, Mr. Dillon.
5: Four years starving in New York doing showcases I had to pay for myself. That was my first big break. (laughs) My first feature, this like zero-budget movie about people who are taken up into alien spaceships and given physicals against their will. Finally, some real acting, and they tell me before I leave that I've got the part. Only I don't know what it is yet, but I'm so thrilled because it's, it's this feature, you know? It's not a student film or anything, so... The agent gives me my script and I go through it, looking for Margaret, the part that they say I have. And and I've got my, my yellow underliner marker in my hand, only it's drying out. And finally, I find only one page with the corner folded over. And I'm in this therapy group of these people who have had these alien physicals. And I've I've got only one line. I didn't ask for the anal probe.
3: So we already know what the title of the episode is going to be. (laughs) And... I directed that movie. She did a wonderful job. I mean, actually, Nancy Medei has a nice little soliloquy here. But, but is this something that you have to deal with? Also, I mean, in some ways, there are a lot of people. Maybe they're starting out. Maybe they're you know they, they've been struggling a little bit, and maybe they're happy to get one or two lines or be. I think what you call is it what you call them an under five? Uh, if you get less than five lines, but there must be some people who think I deserve more than one line. Do you have to have that conversation with somebody too? Like this is this is good. Take this thing.
4: Certainly, but I also think it's it's up to each actor individually. If they're feeling like where they are in their career, they don't want to take something that's just a couple lines. Absolutely, that's a personal decision. But at the same time, this is also, you know, working with SAG-AFTRA, these actors make their health insurance based on how much they work and how much money they make. And so it is very common to get a phone call from an agent or a manager, or I get an email from an actor that is like, I'm... X amount of money away from making my health insurance. I'll take anything, any co-star you got. And so, you know, the, the smart actors realize that they can build a career off of taking these roles. And from a casting director's perspective, I, I love when actors come in with this shoulders down, no ego. I get so excited. And really, if, people can deliver these sort of one lines and do it do do it really really well i'm thinking that i can use them in other spaces i'm thinking that they are reliable i'm thinking that they are dependable i'm thinking okay they did that really well what else can they do so to me you know an actor coming in and just doing one line in my head it's not well all they can do is one line it's they did that really well what else is there Uh, But yeah, sometimes we have to keep an ego in check. I've certainly had, you know, auditions where I've written on a piece of paper doesn't want to do this. Uh, (laughs) And and then I just know for myself and for that actor, you know, we're not we're not helping each other out. um, If I'm calling this actor in for a one line part. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just, that's a bummer. But we've both learned something something that Great.
3: day. Life is hard. But I love yeah. the first thing you said there. I thought, Jenny, that was a really beautiful statement, that idea that just because somebody has one line, that doesn't mean they're a one-line actor. And it tells you something if they show up and they're committed and they're treating it like their own little lead role that they have to do perfectly. It means maybe they should work more. Maybe you should find other stuff. I think that's a really beautiful segment uh, sentiment. So um, we should just sort of kind of go through the, the taxonomy of uh, TV and movie actors. There's a guest star... Uh, and there's a co-star, which is not quite the same thing as a guest star. And then there's something called a day player. Tell us what a day player is.
4: You know, a day player, the The uh, terms are all getting a little muddled these days. Some people will say under five, but some people will say co-star. Some people will say day player. Um, but a day player is basically someone who is coming in, working one day. Uh, they're They're in, they're out, and that's really it. It's happening in one day. Uh, and whereas a co, a bigger co-star, a guest star, a series regular, they're going to be all over the course of the schedule. They're going to be working multiple days, heavier in the schedule. Uh, but truly a day player is exactly what it sounds like one day to play. All
3: right. And then, then you get to under five, that's five lines or less, right? Fewer than five lines of dialogue.
4: Yeah. Five lines or less. And, you know, I think that phrase is being phased out a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, and I think partly because you never know what those roles can turn out to be. Now, you know, I worked on these Dick Wolf shows, you know, I worked on Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, Chicago Med, FBI, FBI International. And what's really interesting about these shows is those are universes that you build over time. And so someone might, might come in and be a one-line police officer and they'll say, hey, detective, there's the body. And we go, wow, that guy was really cool on set. Everybody got along with him. He did really well delivering that line. And that day player now is frequently used over the course of our 10-year run. And they end up doing 25 episodes. And they were doing that one line. You know, they're that that utility player coming in and supporting the story. And the nice thing is, is that day player turns into something else. So what wasn't under five becomes a recurring co-star. Uh, so I think that kind of phrase is being phased out a little bit, but and, and yeah, probably it can turn also the game.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, since you mentioned Dick Wolf franchises, I think we should also acknowledge that Dick Wolf franchises in particular are a lifeline for people who are doing theater work, particularly theater work in New York. If things are shot in New York, and to illustrate this point, you may already know this clip. Jenny, But so Danny Burstein is a wonderful, wonderful Broadway actor. I saw him as Buddy in Follies. He just destroyed the role. He destroyed Buddy for any other actor as far as I was concerned. It's Danny Burstein from now on. And then he went on to the very prestigious rev- revival of Fiddler uh, when he was up for a Tony. Uh, James Corden was the host. Uh, And uh, after sort of pointing this out about a lot of other people in the theater that night, uh, Corden did a special tribute to Danny Burstein. This is 03, Mr. Dillon.
4: And Danny Burstein nominated tonight for leading actor in a musical with his wonderful performance in Fiddler on the
3: Roof, but best known to you as Joe Garvey in Law and Order. (laughs) Assistant District Attorney Lester Rosenfeld, in Law and Order. Or Luke Vinton, in Law and Order. Peter, in Law and Order. Dr Leo Bernardi, in Law and Order. And finally, who can forget his wonderful
5: term as Judge Sam Murray, in Law and Order?
3: And oh, I should say, while that's happening, stills of each one of those roles is coming up. And, he, uh, you know, he looks very different, too, because the you know, different role, he's made up differently, dressed differently. But it's it's very funny, Jenny. But it's also making a point, right? I mean, when Danny Burstein isn't working, when a theater is dark, this is something that he can do uh, either to qualify for health insurance or put bread on the table.
4: Yes, absolutely. And that's actually something that, you know, the Dick Wolf universe and my old boss, Jonathan Strauss... The thing that I thought was so amazing was they were, you know, they were really one of the first television shows to make a home in New York city. And rather than turning their nose up at theater actors, they embraced them. It's really, really rare to go to a Broadway show and open the playbill and look at all the bios of all the actors and not see at least one Dick Wolf show mentioned in their credits. And I think that is so, so special, but yeah, I mean, when you're an actor, you, you are an actor of every medium. I personally don't believe in this idea of like a theater actor is only a theater actor and a film actor is only a film actor. You're an actor. You can do everything. And, in, and most of these actors, even these, these, these people that are coming in and just doing one line, they've had immense training. They've worked with some of the greats. And people who who truly created the foundation for for acting work in America, Uh, there, there are people who studied with these people and they're coming in and delivering the line as if it's a soliloquy from Hamlet. And that. I just adore, I completely, completely support them, that mentality. Like you find work where you want to find work, you give it your passion, you give it your all, and then you keep working. Clearly Danny Bursine, who is the nicest guy, uh, people love to work with him. That's why he keeps getting mm-hmm. hired. I guarantee that more than half of those were a specific request from a director or a writer. Hey, you know, who'd be great in this Danny Burstein. (laughs) And they said, yep. And then he got hired, which is awesome.
3: Well, Jenny rabbits, you were great in this. Uh, In fact, I would recommend any public radio show casting a casting director as a guest to get Jenny rabbits, get me a Jenny rabbits, get me a Jenny rabbits type. Uh, And I hope you will, uh, Think of me in the future if there's a role for old guy who doesn't know when to shut up. I I think I really could play that. I don't have my SAG card yet, but thanks for being with us today.
4: Thank you so much.
3: So those are mostly dancers, but I think the, the vibe is pretty much right. I mean, you know, you really want to get hired. Uh, we're going to talk to some uh, actors now uh, who go to auditions and get roles and work in interesting things. Uh, we're going to begin with Ezra Buzzington. Don't forget he's on the phone, Dylan. Uh, Ezra Buzzington has uh, been referred to as the Dennis Hopper of Underground Cinema. I thought Dennis Hopper was the Dennis Hopper of underground cinema. His over 70 film credits, yeah. credits uh, Ezra Buzzington's uh, film credits credits include dozens of TV appearances ranging from Weird Al the Waiter in Ghost World uh, to Mutant—oh, those are movies—in The Hills Have Eyes and most recently as one of the leads in the South by Southwest hit film Brooklyn 45. Uh, he has appeared in Academy Award-winning films alongside some of your favorite actors. Before we talk to Ezra the person, let's listen to Ezra the actor uh, in The prestige He's appearing uh, here alongside Hugh Jackman. This would be 05 Dylan. You've never seen anything like it in your
1: lives. Your lives will not believe what they're witnessing. Free,
5: clean power. Would you like to know the future, sir? The man who's speaking right now is going to change the world.
3: So, Ezra, welcome to our conversation. And I think you heard my uh, conversation with Jenny. Um, pr- first of all, any, any way you want to react so far to all the stuff that has been said?
1: Um, I, I, it's actually how my stomach is reacting. Everything about the uh, industry is, is uh, so on pins and needles now. was fascinating to hear everything she said, and I couldn't agree more with absolutely everything she said. Um, she, she nailed it. She categorized this correctly. She knows what to look for, clearly. And uh, I hope to meet her one day. <laughs> yeah,
3: uh, I'm sure that's uh, somewhere in the future. You say pins and needles, I assume you're referring largely to the writer's strike.
1: That's one of many things. Um, we've been hit with sort of kind of a perfect storm in terms of the industry and everything is sort of um, compressing itself. Now, But yeah, starting three days ago, the Writers Guild of America went on strike against the uh, corporations that own the studios. Um, so it's going to be an interesting summer into fall, and we'll see where
3: this goes. But, uh,
1: you yeah, know, just neither here nor there, what can you do? You put one foot in front of the other, and you hope for the best, and every time you get a shot, you take it.
3: So when Jenny's uh, casting around for an actor to fill a certain role, you know, she was describing certain types and things like that. Explain what your type is. What's How's Jenny going to describe you <laughs> to the to the creative
1: team? <laughs> this is how you just landed on the biggest bugaboo of my entire career. Um, I have a very unusual look, and I can do many different things, luckily. You know, I think from comedy to drama to horror to what have you. And, and um, when I first got to town... There was something very popular that was called Know Your Cross. You had to know what cross you were as an actor and as a character actor. And my cross was at the time um, a young James Woods meets Steve Buscemi. So, you know, that's, that conjures an image. And so then you have a type and you know where to go. Now, when you add to that the fact that I have standout ears, they stick out on either side of my head. That's uh, a blessing and a curse. It's funny. Uh, the only thing that any actor can bring into the room that gives them any kind of true power, unless they're stars, is the fact that they are them. Whatever it is they are is unique unto them, and nobody else can recreate it. And so that is the power you have. So if, as well as your ability, obviously, that shouldn't go without saying, if uh, the casting director or the producer or the director or writer are looking for that thing, you're in. You're in um and it it otherwise you know it, it it's a, a draw i mean it's just you know luck of the draw you just don't know everybody's good everybody is good um it seems to me uh um, especially in hollywood it seems in terms of film and tv but if there are so many other factors that enter in when you're being cast or not being cast that you just really can't even stop to think about it you just have to keep moving
3: yeah, you have to keep moving. And I, I, I thought also for any actor, what Jenny was saying might resonate—that idea of you show up and you're on your game, and you know what you're doing, and you're sober, and you're whatever. That you know that tells her, yeah, you might get this job, and I also might hire you a bunch of other times. I'm, I'm sure that's part of it. A certain, how would you describe that work ethic? How it feels inside of you?
1: Oh gosh. Um, well, I'm I'm always happiest when I'm on a set, no matter what the set is, even if it's a bad set. I'm still happy and grateful to be working. And so, I, I being raised in, in midwestern style, I'm polite to everyone, and I give everything that they need. And and it's it's not about me. It cannot be about the actor when you walk on the set. It has to be about your character, the director's vision, uh, what voice you're representing in the film or television show that you're doing, and put all ego aside and dive on in and just do your best with it and be gentle and nice with everyone. I've worked with huge names, huge names, the biggest in the industry. And um, the the one thing about all of them is they are very kind. I have yet to meet anybody whose behavior is questionable. And whenever I have, they're usually in a position where they would like more power but don't have it. So it, it comes up from a place of frustration. So it's, it's you should, who could be happier than being on a set? Why be in a crappy mood? You know? <laughs> who cares if, if the grape is red instead of green?
3: Right. You and- know, it
1: it, uh, it, 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 it,
3: Go ahead. I think well I think a sign that you're good to have on a set. I was going through your IMDb profile and I noticed a series that I was very fond of, justified you played Harvey Jones once oh, and then yeah. on another another oh. episode you played Roy the bartender. The fact that they'll bring you back for a completely different character yeah. uh, is a good sign. And do you want to say anything yeah. about that experience? It sounds from your tone of voice like it was a well, positive experience.
1: It was it was fabulous, absolutely wonderful, and I was <laughs> very grateful for, for that as well. Because honestly, other than Buddy, it's very <laughs> rare to have the same actor play two different roles or more on a running series. Um, and they brought me in for the I played the bartender. It was a great part, really nice. I got to work with Timothy the Elephant, and uh, he was very very lovely. They all were. And the casting director then brought me in for another role. And. I told my agent, I said, well, you know, I've been on it. She knows this. So I'm, And they said, yeah, but they want you to come in. So great. So I went and booked the part of was uh, very, very funny part um, uh, opposite Neil uh, on Justified. And I was thrilled to death. And it was a completely different character. The bartender was kind of this butch guy holding back, you know, the, the the one of the fighters in the bar, and blah 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 blah. Whereas my other guy was sort of obsequious and a game player and and an official in the town. So it was it was just I was I was very honored for that, and the set was incredible. It was just they worked so well together. It was sort of an actor-run set, so sometimes I would look over at the writers over at Video Village, and you would see them being sad because the (laughs) records were being changed a lot because we were allowed to improvise somewhat, Um, but it was just a joyous set, if along with
3: yeah, that sounds terrific. I'm. I know. I have a friend who's rewatching. we watching Justified for the first time. I'm going to say rewatch the whole thing just for Ezra Bussington. Um, all right, we're going uh, to we're going we're going to introduce you to a uh, uh, somebody who will be your new best friend. Vlad Perez is an LA-based actor who has co-starred in television shows including Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Murderville, Friendsgiving, and many more. He's one of the founders of CT Comedy Theater right here in Hartford. And one day he looked at all of us and he said, "I'm leaving." And the next time you see me, my name is going to be in lights. I'm going to be. In in Murderville. Uh, and so let's hear Vlad. Uh, this is Vlad. This is 04 Dylan. Uh, Vlad in Murderville.
2: in Connecticut. You don't need a passport. What asked you? Nothing. Who nothing you? Who nothing you? I don't even know what you guys are saying. Exactly.
3: So, Vlad, welcome back to uh, Connecticut Public Radio. Big Mac, what's going on? <laughs> so uh, you've heard, I think, m- much of this show so far. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit more about like what the process has been like for you, establishing yourself in this process and getting auditions and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I agree with the, a lot of the things everybody else has said. I mean, for me, it's just, um, you know, audition by audition. I don't really think of too much else. Other than like, you know, what is, you know, needed and just breaking down the scene and, and just, you know, taking it from there, you know?
3: So, one of the things that has happened, I guess, during the COVID era is you're in the room a little less often, right? You you know, we all have that, we all watch Barry or something, and we have that picture uh, of a whole bunch of chairs out in the hallway and people getting called in, like, it's a dentist appointment. I guess it's a little bit less of that these days.
2: Yeah. I mean, for me right now in LA, it's, Pretty much uh, everything's a self tape, So that, I mean, that Barry stuff is really, uh, they really did a good job of showing a lot of the, you know, ins and outs of acting. So that was really like dead on.
3: But I would assume for you this would be a little bit of a setback in the sense that I mean I don't know you well, but I knew you reasonably well and you have a very winning personality and you come into a room, you come into a radio studio, and there's sort of a sense, oh, there's this kind of cool, vivacious guy here, which is probably hard for you to establish if you're auditioning via tape.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, the just the charm flirting type of scenario, you know, coming in or leaving and and uh you know I, especially i feel like when you go in there and, and do your audition you kind of are able to really just leave it in there uh more so because you just came in did your thing you know how you felt about it maybe you got some feedback maybe you got some direction to turn it around i mean i think i've booked at least 10 things by being able to 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 do it again with the you know doing taking a note from the casting director and uh, you know, then you leave. Even if you don't get it, you know how you felt, and you can leave it at that. I mean, with the tapes, sometimes it feels like you're just putting it on like a disc and chucking it into the ocean, you know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let me bring Ezra back in here because that's something Talking I didn't around. I didn't ask you about that that whole thing. You know, you talked about the industries and in pins on pins and needles for a bunch of different reasons. Mm-hmm. I guess one of them also has been the way the process changed. Have you had the same thing where you send in tapes and hope you're not kicking them into the ocean?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I agree with that completely. And also, what you said is it's not a, it, it, it's not a little less than it used to be. It is ninety five percent less than it used to be. And something else that that we used to be able to count as a victory when one would walk into a casting director room with just the casting director or the assistants, or um, perhaps some of the showrunners there. That is the victory right there when you get in the room. Getting in the room is the win. Maybe you'll get the part, maybe you won't, but you've met more people with self-tapes. We don't have that option. The only thing we have with self-tapes is either working with whoever videographer we're working with at home or going to a place where you pay 25 bucks to get a 10-minute audition tap. And that's a loss. That's a huge loss because art is organic and we've lost the organic sense of working together as humans. So it's corporations right frankly, took over in the industry. So it, it, it's very, very, very tough um, and I'm with glad on that. I mean, uh, there is charm in a room. There's a banter. There's back and forth. And all you have on, on your self tape is, my name is Ezra I'm not a eight. I live in Los Angeles. You know, and here's my audition. Right. And you don't hear anything back. It's, it's, a number of people I know do book them self tape, Um than I have, but it, it's, it's, a lot of the joy is gone. I guess I'll put it that
3: way. You know, Vlad. Um, the only thing that I can compare this to in my life, I was a magazine writer for a long time, and people used to ask me how I got my magazine, this magazine job or that magazine job, and I said mm, I, I didn't do anything. I got one magazine job, and then like people would just call you up, and I think that's a little bit of could be a little bit of a problem in this business. Like, there's some terrific. Like, I see Margot Martindale in everything, you know. <laughs> if I turn on my television, there's a like, high chance Martin Mar- Margot Martindale's going to be there. I think Isaiah Whitlock Jr. was in seven TV shows and three movies in one year. And uh, it does seem as though once somebody gets a certain kind of momentum, it's, you know, they just start thinking about that person for every single little thing, which obviously crowds out everybody else. I don't know. Is that kind of, am I close to reality there?
2: Uh, I mean, I guess I feel like when people are on fire, you know, sometimes it it just happens that fast for them where, you know, they'll get their first few co-stars or something, a guest star and series regular or, you know, a couple of of, of pretty good parts of movies. And, but by the time everything comes out, it just, it, you know, it seems like in a (laughs) row, but, you know, they still could have been on the same path as everybody else, you know, taking years to, to get there, but. You know, sometimes you shoot things that come out, you know, that that next month. And, you know, and sometimes you shoot things that don't come out for two years. You know, that's still like, I still have no clue, you know, what's going on with things I've been in that I've shot in the past year.
3: (laughs) So, you know, and it gets back, Ezra, to what you were saying before about type, which is, I mean, Type is a blessing, and I suppose it's also a curse. I mean, the idea that you have a type and the people know the James Woods, Steve Buscemi thing, you know, that, that means that you're going to be in certain conversations. But I assume, Ezra, that it means you're going to be outside of other conversations.
1: Yes and no. I mean, there's a difference also between brand and type. Mm-hmm. Uh, the brand of Ezra Buzzington is one thing. The type is sort of kind of another um, with regard to my personal career, when I first got to town, I was lucky enough to start booking horror films, good size horror films, early on. And I was warned uh, very early. It's like, be careful, because if you go into horror and only horror, then you're sort of in what was then viewed this 25 years ago as a ghetto of a kind. Because that was, of course, before horror started taking over the box office post-pandemic. But the point is, one needs to be very, very clear how one wants to approach their career. In a time when we have to take whatever job is available to us, that's less accessible to us. So it's not
3: as easy
1: to, to work within your brand and then you become a type. And so, oh, well, we need some horror creepy person in the closet, let's call Esther, <laughs> so- or, or
3: Vlad, or whoever. Yeah. So before we <laughs> run out of time, before we run out of time here, Vlad, I didn't get a chance to ask you your type. When people ask me your type, I say less jacked Vin Diesel. Uh, but I, I probably <laughs> that's probably not exactly right. How, how would you describe the t- the type that that Vlad Perez fits into?
2: You know, what? It's, uh, it's it's still hard to say. I mean, I, I think at this point, what the industry showed me is uh, my type is very like blue collar, mm-hmm. uh, blue collar and, um, you know, just kind of like a bad attitude, like, uh, why why are you doing this to me today kind of thing. I mean, that, like, it's like, like, is this guy serious? You know, that's, that's I mean, that's my type.
3: All right. That's sort of my type, too. Uh, we're probably up for the same roles. Uh, were you up for the role in Stomach People that I didn't get? Anyway, we have to stop uh, here. Uh, we've been visiting with Ezra Buzzington, and Vlad Perez. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to some more people who are doing a different kind of work. i And we are back. It's time to do some very quick thank yous. Uh, And this all starts with Julia Pastel. She's producing this particular episode. Uh, She is uh, supervised. Uh, by the grim and very professional Lily Tyson, who will soon be appearing in an improvised Hallmark and Lifetime movie as well as several Taylor Swift-themed shows uh, at C.T. Improv, But we'll get to that in a second. Dylan raises is our technical producer today. I believe Jonathan McPants, even though it's like his day off or something, has been running around getting clips and stuff like that. So uh, all of that is very good. And now well, we are uh, ready to talk to our final two guests. Um, and this is a little bit more from the world of extras, but sometimes more extra than extras. Uh, Ali Rivera is an actor with CT Improv. She is, in fact, the person behind an improvised Hallmark and Lifetime movie. And fittingly, she has been an extra on a Hallmark movie. Uh, And then we'll be talking to Harriet Dobin, uh, who I've only known, I believe, for 45 years, uh, former Hartford Media maven, and now a a silver model and actor in Philadelphia, uh, has been a QVC model body double and a commercial actor, and Mrs. Claus, among many other roles in her second career, which is interesting because Harriet, for many years, was the spokesperson for the Greater Hartford Jewish Federation. Anyway, uh, we'll come to that. So, Ali, maybe let's begin with you. Um, wasn't necessarily something you were setting out to do, to become an extra, but then what happened? You, you got a chance to be in a miracle on 34th Pat's, Pratt Street in Hartford.
6: Essentially, yes. I uh, I work in insurance during the day. I would say I'm not an actor as much as a hallmark enthusiast. Uh, so when the opportunity came to go and be an extra in one of the movies that was being filmed on Pratt Street, I jumped at the chance. And you can see my face on screen for about three seconds. It's very exciting.
3: Well, how much leads up to those three seconds? My My... My senses, or my, I don't know, my, my thought is that you're standing around a lot drinking coffee waiting for somebody to tell you to do something.
6: Yeah, it was fascinating for me being someone who hasn't really spent much time on a set. Um, I, it was September. It was extremely hot, but we were bundled up as though it was Christmas time. Um, and then we would walk from one part of the street to another part and then go back and walk that same part of the street over and over and over for... Um, almost two hours just walking the same part of the street.
3: And then eventually a director pointed to you and said, that woman, that woman is the next Kim Novak. (laughs) Well, maybe not. Uh, (laughs) sure. (laughs) (laughs) So, but that's, I assume it's something that you'd be interested in doing again, maybe, or was this, the bucket list is now already checked off there?
6: Um, I'm extremely glad I did it. If it was presented to me again, I'd probably say yes, just because I say yes to most things. Um, but I don't know if I'd seek it out again.
3: All right. So no, Harriet, this is something that I didn't know you were doing. We've known each other for, I believe this is our 45th anniversary. Uh, yes. But, <laughs> Happy anniversary. Mazel tov. <laughs> yes, mazel tov indeed. But you've gone off to live a different kind of life. I didn't know you were doing this. So I don't know. For, I, the first thing we all have to know about, I think, is uh, my understanding is that on the HBO series, uh, Mayor of Easttown, you were Gene Smart's body double. Uh, what, how did you get that and what does that involve?
0: Well, let's go back to a little bit about 2017. I walked into a, a local modeling agency when I saw that white-haired actors and models were a thing. Mm-hmm. She hired me on the spot. Said, "Let's get some pictures done. Represent you." And the rest happened about five years ago. One of those roles came about through one of the big casting agencies in Philadelphia, Harry Loftus, and they were they cast the big film. Uh, and TV productions here in the city, which is a fabulous, huge city. I love my Eagles and my 76ers. And one of them was mayor of So I originally was cast as a protester. And then she called me back in because my hair sort of is phosphorus now and it's white and it glows. She said, hey, we need a body double. You're five foot nine. You've got light hair. You're built exactly like Jean Smart. Can you come in for the role? So I said, Sure. So for the last four weeks of production, which happened during COVID, there I was. I was Jean Smart's body double, her photo double. I was also the stand-in for her stunt double. So at any one time, I was sitting in a dressing room with her. She's a lovely, fantastic, talented woman. I was... If you can imagine me speechless, Colin, that's what I was. I I actually cannot.
3: I cannot imagine you speechless. And I I think everybody (laughs) understands why. Well, no, when you do something like that, I don't know. Do you have a lot of contact with Jean Smart? Does she come in and go, you don't look that much like me? And really,
0: we happen to be in the same trailer one day getting our makeup and our wigs off. But, you know, they're very aloof and they're on their own as they should be. She was really Turning into Helen Fahey, I was on set with Kate Winslet doing a couple of scenes. Maybe you've seen my left hand on Kate Winslet's shoulder at a time. Uh, so she she really is just charming and wonderful to everybody. And she's very into her own world. And when she's on set, you just learn as a body double or a stand-in, you just have to shut up and be in the background and do as you're told, and don't bother them, and don't ask for a picture.
3: You're in very good company. Uh, one of Kevin Costner's first roles was is the dead body in the big chill, and all you can see is his hand. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you could be headed for Yellowstone. That could be your next thing. So, uh, just Harriet, we're almost out of time here, but I mean, I don't know, do, you're doing other stuff? You're doing work as an extra? Yes. Stuff like that? Yeah. Uh,
0: I, I have, I've become the sassy, silver-haired, over-the-top grandma, the mouthy mother mother-in-law, Meryl Street meets Helen Mirren with a New York accent. I've done some QVC hair and beauty. I've done senior living, political advocacy, Medicare, CBD, mobility scooters, home renovations. And I am Mrs. Claus. I'm the only daughter of a rabbi you will ever meet who is a fabulous Mrs. Claus.
3: That is very impressive. So um, I I just want to end here. You know, I mean, there might be some work that comes out of this for one or both of you. Um, Ali Rivera, uh, I don't know if you heard the clip from Passion Fish earlier, but just as just a quick line reading. uh, Can you uh, can you just give me uh, I I never asked for the anal probe? That's the line. I never asked for the anal probe. Just 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 throw it away. Just throw it away. Oh, sure, sure, sure.
6: I never asked for the anal
3: probe. Okay, just give me a different kind of color. Now. It's some kind of different coloration. Just t- who, who, me? T- yeah, yeah. Just tint it a little yeah. bit more. You know, oh, just...
6: um, I never asked for the anal probe.
3: All right. Harry, do you want to uh, take a try? This is for um, an alien movie. You've been abducted. Uh, I never asked for the, alien, the anal probe. G- give it a try.
0: I never asked for the alien probe, you asshole.
3: <laughs> okay, that that was so much <laughs> more and less. You probably have
6: to believe that. Yeah,
3: I think maybe we did or maybe we didn't. But in any case, the show is on that very beautiful note. The show has ended. Congratulations to everyone. I've enjoyed working here. Uh, <laughs> I'll be trying to be an extra starting tomorrow. I'm going to need a new job.
1: Applause,
5: applause, applause And then we'll be applause, applause,